We all love words of encouragement, don't we? Let me just share a few with you as we begin our time together. Here's one. Even in the darkest time, God's light is shining as he works in partnership with faithful people. Even in the darkest time. Whilst there's breath in your lungs and before Christ returns, there's always hope for redemption and new beginnings. God is able to restore a family to faithfulness and fruitfulness, even within a single generation. Stepping out of the world culture and into God's culture opens up opportunities for blessing. And God is not ashamed of those he has redeemed. We're going to see the truth of all of those statements as we open the word together. Today, This is going to be a, a take heart moment uh, as we read the Word of God. Now, two weeks ago, we examined the book of Judges. And it might seem like all hope was lost after the death of Joshua. Certainly the nation of Israel spiralled from that point. And each time somebody was raised up to try and draw them back, they, they, they unravelled further to the point where the whole nation was in a shambles. And it says at the end of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But even in the midst of chaos, we see that God is at work. For as long as God exists, he's at work. And that means there's always hope. So where Judges reads like recurring stress and and mess, it's followed by a little book called Ruth. Now, Ruth is only four chapters long, and the book of Ruth details what might seem like an insignificant unfolding circumstance. And it will actually, as we look at it, it will be revealed as an incredibly significant, eternal uh, story, reality. It's going to lay foundations for generations to come and for the nation of Israel and ultimately for you and for me as well. Ruth chapter 1 verse 1 plants what we're going to read in the time of the judges. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. So what we hear in this is that, and we could perhaps propose, that due to the, the sin of the people, famine has been brought upon the land. We know that that has happened throughout Israel's history and a lot of commentators, a lot of writers would, would propose a link between the conduct of the people and the famine on the land. And this first verse plants the book of Ruth in the time of the Judges. And while the rest of the nation seems to be unravelling, what we see in this book is that something significant is unfolding. Now, it's unfolding initially uh, in Moab, but 
eventually unfolds and becomes significant in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, which will be remembered forever. And now don't panic, we're not going to get to the Christmas story this morning. We're going to hold off a few weeks yet. I don't know if maybe you're like me, you've been really tempted to put the tree up. I don't know what it is about the idea of putting the tree up in November just feels wrong, even though there's something beautiful about having the tree up in the house. But we're not going to rush to the Christmas story, but we are going to rush to Bethlehem this morning together. We're going to rush to it and we're going to let Bethlehem become the centre of our focus. Now, not many biblical texts centre on the lives of women, but those that do are incredibly powerful and they demonstrate how a godly woman can influence history and even shake a nation. And the book of Ruth is no exception. So a little bit of backstory then. What we have here from verse 1, it tells us that a man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. This man's wife was Naomi. And what we have here is Naomi's family had, in a sense, like the rest of Israel, gone astray. What we have here is that Naomi has married a man of of faith, but Naomi's sons have not followed suit. They have married someone beyond the faith. They meet somebody in Moab. They marry a Moabite wife, a Moabite bride. And that, that raises a lot of challenges for, for people of this day. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And wh- why was that proposed? Well, what we see here with, with Naomi and her husband's uh, sons is that they married unbelievers. The sons married unbelievers, people of a different faith. The danger always for the people of Israel was that in uniting with people that followed after other gods, more often than not, watered down the the quality of the faith in that household towards the living God. So here you have the the family, in 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 essence, not integrated into a community of faith. They've gone to to Moab and, and everything has broken there. How has it broken there? Well, life unravels for them and they find themselves uh, isolated and in turmoil. Naomi's husband dies, then her two sons also die, and they die young. And so what we have here is Naomi and, and the two brides, the two Moabite brides, as family, they're not integrated into a community of faith. And then when life unraveled, as it did, we see that Naomi's husband dies, uh, her two sons die, what you get is the combination, the worst possible combination. You've got the fallenness of the world, you've got the brokenness of culture, and you've got the lack of integration into God's people, but an integration into a culture that is not of the living God. So it's a pretty bleak circumstance for Naomi and for her two daughters-in-law. But even though there is an incredible darkness in this moment. There's darkness over the nation of Israel. There's darkness over the surrounding peoples. Even though they haven't got community, even though Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws have suffered catastrophic loss, is all hope lost? Well, as with everything, it's what happens next that matters. 
That's a great lesson for us in life, isn't it? When things go wrong, it's what happens next that truly matters. Let's look at verse 15 through to 17 of chapter 1. Naomi said, look, this is speaking to to Ruth, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Note that she's gone back to live in fullness amongst the, the people of Moab to follow after other gods, plural. Follow your sister-in-law. So Naomi is encouraging Ruth to get back into her own culture fully and not stay with her. What does Ruth say? Verse 16, Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Isn't that an incredible portion of God's word? And and doesn't it just give us a beautiful confession of faith, a rejection of the duplicity of God's, the false worship of the Moabites, an embracing of Naomi's God, who was the God of heaven and earth, and, and a willingness to lay down her life for, yes, for God, but also for Naomi. And we'll circle back to these verses perhaps at the end, but it's important to note here that this is perhaps the first right decision to be made in this family since it was pieced together. And it's one that's going to be eternally remembered. Now Naomi is no longer on her own. She is a widow. She has lost, in essence, everything, all means of of support for her future. But Naomi is no longer on her own. And now she can, in essence, she can return to Bethlehem with a companion of faith, She perhaps couldn't have gone back to Bethlehem with a daughter-in-law who was a Moabitess because that would have caused a lot of tension, a lot of strain. The the people of Moab and the people of Israel were in conflict. There was obviously a religious, a faith conflict there. And, And had Ruth not made this confession, she would not have been integrated into the community. But now she can return, Naomi can return to Bethlehem with a companion of faith. And and where God hadn't been able to work freely in their midst as a family, now both hearts are submitted to his leading. The word tells us how can two walk together lest they be agreed? And the solution to that challenge is to go to the voice beyond themselves and trust in that instead. And so that's what they can now do. The Western world prides itself on being perhaps the most enlightened. I think we hear that quite a lot, certainly when we're hearing discussions, debates between people that are atheists or atheistic and those of, of faith. There's a pushback against the idea that, that, uh, that faith, and certainly faith in, in one God and one truth, is archaic and a more enlightened people would seek to reject that. But when we examine early, the early culture of the Jewish people, we see that actually God's law shaped a culture that, that was incredibly uh, contemporary in principle. 
What do I mean by that? Well, it was a culture that looked out for the widow. It looked out for the person on the fringe. Let's look at this as we continue through the book of Ruth together. Ruth chapter 2, verses 2 to 9. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting, and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled." By this stage, what we have here is Ruth is in the family of God by faith. And so coincidence takes on a whole new meaning. She's not sitting back and waiting for God to do something. Because yes, Naomi has Ruth, Ruth has Naomi, but within the culture still they are quite isolated and they will not have a means of providing for themselves as freely as they would like. And so they don't sit back. Ruth gets out there uh, and she embraced what we might say is the biblical definition of waiting on God. She doesn't sit back and expect God to drop something into her lap, but rather she's actively out there using her God-given strength uh, to open a God-given door. And as a result, she happens to find herself in the field of Boaz, who is a relation of Naomi, Naomi's uh, husband who has passed away. Again, we don't believe in coincidences when we're in the family of God. And as I said, it was a, a law-inspired culture. So we say this culture today is enlightened. We might question that on many levels. We look back at this culture in the time of Ruth, and it was a law-inspired culture. People of poverty were taken care of. People in poverty could glean grain from the edges of the fields. They would come, they would muck in and work for their blessing. Ruth comes and she mucks in and she works for her blessing. And that is the best kind of welfare system. When people are willing to stand up, uh, muck in and receive their blessing. It just so happens that she finds herself in the company of Boaz, as we say. Uh, no coincidence there. A local man of significant influence, and the Bible tells us a man who was of great honour. Now, there isn't just a relation linked here to, to Naomi through Elimelech, 
But there's actually a relation in Boaz here linked to somebody else we've already met, and that is Rahab. You remember Rahab from the early stages of the book of Judges? Rahab, who was a, a prostitute and a Canaanite and who embraced the living God, who turned her back on the idolatry of the Canaanites. And because of that, her life was spared, her family's life was spared. And so what we have now is whether Rahab was actually Boaz's mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, it's always hard to know for sure based on genealogy in the word. But what we have here is somebody who is the fruit of a previous generation's wisdom to turn to a living God. Isn't that good? So Boaz initially shows her great compassion. And then when he discovers who she is, Ruth's reputation uh, is revealed. He discovers that she is the lady who has laid down her life for Naomi. And what we have here is that we should never underestimate how what goes on in private can spread throughout the whole community, for good and for ill. Let me say that again. What goes on in private can spread throughout a whole community, for good or for ill, and for good in this sense. Ruth's willingness to lay down her life for Naomi has become known across the community. Her humility, her loyalty, her faith to one person has opened a door to incredible potential. Now, there's still lots to happen here in the economy of God. There are still variables that need to fall into place before the blessing of God can come to fruition. But so far, Ruth has done her bit in private with Naomi, and Boaz has done his bit in public. That is, ensuring that Ruth, somebody on the fringe, is able to glean and be provided for by the grain that falls. He also offers her protection, protection from the young men of the community. So what comes next? Well, Ruth chapter 3, verses 3 to 13. Let's read this. This is our last portion to read. Here is Naomi speaking to to Ruth. Let's go back to verse 2. Isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of a pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled. He turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. 
Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you, but if he doesn't want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. There's lots in there, and we can unpack little bits of it as we journey through this last portion together. Now, there are two ways to read the Bible, and this portion of God's Word uh, it's imperative that we understand how to understand God's Word, how to read it properly and read it well. Two ways to understand and read the Bible. The first way is to read it through the lens of our own contemporary culture. And then we infer our own culture, our own norms, onto the passage of Scripture. And that could be, in a sense, an eisegesis where you read something into the text that isn't there. Or the other way is that you read it within its own culture and let that shape our culture today. And that is uh, what we might term as exegesis. You read out from the text, not read into the text. Can you guess which one God wants us to apply? Of course, it's reading from the text, not into the text. Now, we read from this portion that Ruth beautified herself. She went to Boaz by night after a party. She uncovered his feet. She lay down and she stayed the night. Now, what might contemporary culture read into that? We can use our imaginations, of course. But what we know of the culture of the day here, an honourable, godly dynamic of the culture of the day, is that this was actually an incredibly innocent moment. It was a common practice of one who was looking to be redeemed by one of their kin. What does redeemed mean? Well, it means basically that, that Boaz has the right to marry Ruth. That in doing so, the whole family of, well, what's left of the family, that is, Ruth and Naomi can be redeemed to Boaz and a family can be re-established. Now, Naomi knew this because she said that Ruth was to go lie, uh, lie down, uncover his feet, and, and he will explain to you what you should do. So Naomi knew the culture of the day. She knew what Boaz would do next. So an innocent moment, a common practice. In essence, this was a marriage proposal from Ruth to Boaz. Obviously, in our culture, it's normally the other way around. And in, probably in, in Jewish culture, it would have been primarily the other way around as well. But in this moment, with regards the, the kinsman-redeemer dynamic of this, this moment, this was a common practice for this. And, and Boaz... His uh, response is to indicate that we'll, he will accept Ruth's proposal under certain circumstances. And again, this demonstrates his noble character. The Bible tells us that he spreads his cloak over her. Uh, 
Now, that would also be translated as, as mantle. The CSB that I read will, will frame it as wings. And this mantle, these wings, are to cover her and to protect her until morning. Again, let's not misunderstand this moment. Boaz is not going to con uh, consummate the proposal in this moment. He's going to investigate because somebody else has first call on the redemption, the redeeming dynamic of, of Ruth. I love what Warren Wearsby says here, uh, one of the commentators uh, of, of this text. He says that Ruth put herself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest. Remember, Boaz was, was guarding the grain after the harvest had been gathered in. Ruth put herself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest and he would do the rest. Now, in a sense, Ruth did this back uh, in chapter 1 with her profession of faith. She put herself at the feet of the Lord of the harvest. That's a, a beautiful picture of, of the God of heaven and, of course, what would come to be the Christ, the Jesus of, of God. And she put herself at the, Lord, at the feet of the Lord of the harvest and he would do the rest. So that was her in front of Naomi, her profession of faith. But then literally she does this on the threshing floor with Boaz. What follows is that Boaz does the rest. He remains honourable in the process towards this redemption. He pays the price to purchase his bride. In this case, he buys a portion of land that was linked to Naomi and therefore to Ruth. And, and now, because of that, he has a legal right to take Ruth as his bride. And, and Ruth, well, she has actively done her bit and now she can, in a sense, enter into a time of rest, trusting by faith that God will work out his will for her life. Ruth and Boaz become famous throughout eternity. How is that so? Well, they are named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, all because they trusted God in their moment, in their own circumstance. Ruth trusted God in private before Naomi. She trusted God in going to the threshing floor. Boaz, in his honour, in his, in his, we might even say in his humility, follows the process to redeem Ruth properly. So they, they trust God in their moment, they trust God in their circumstance, they hold to God and to God's ways in the midst of a culture that's gone astray, don't forget this was set in a time of the book of the judges. And what happens? Well, they reap the benefits and the blessing of it. Let me repeat once again the statements that I shared at the start. That even in the darkest time, God's light is shining as he works in partnership with faithful people. The nation of Israel had unraveled in the time of the judges. It was a dark time, but God's light was shining as he worked in partnership with faithful people, Ruth and Boaz. Whilst there's breath in your lungs and before Christ returns, there's always hope for redemption and new beginning. All seemed lost for Naomi and Ruth. And, and we could also say that Boaz in his mature years, all seemed lost for him to gain a wife. 
The time may have passed in his mind for a, a wife to come and offer herself, uh, a, and certainly a young bride for an old man. But while there's breath in your lungs, before, for us, we would say before Christ returns, there's always hope for redemption and new beginnings. Incredible. God is able to restore a family to faithfulness and fruitfulness, even within a single generation. Now that is our heart's cry where we are in our community, that God would restore families to faithfulness and fruitfulness. Now, we don't know if Rahab was Boaz's mum, grandmother, uh, great-grandmother, but we've seen the redemption happen there, which has changed the trajectory of a family. We now see a restoration of family for Ruth. She now has a husband, an honourable husband who loves the Lord. And Naomi is now part of a family that will provide for her as a widow. Stepping out of the world's culture and into God's culture opens up opportunities for blessing. Ruth stepped out of her culture, the, the, the Moabite culture. She embraced Naomi's God, Naomi's people, Naomi's faith. And, and, and then you have Naomi. Naomi, in essence, rejected the melting pot of culture that she had built a family on and returned to, to true faith in the living God. Stepping out of the world's culture and into God's culture opens up opportunity for blessing. What happens? They are blessed. God is not ashamed of those he has redeemed. We'll close on this. When we think about Rahab, we see that God is not ashamed of those that he has redeemed. Rahab becomes infamous in the genealogy of Jesus. Boaz becomes infamous in the genealogy of, of Jesus. Ruth, who was a Gentile, not of the, the people of faith, but who was embraced into the people of faith through her faith in, in, in the God of heaven. God is not ashamed of those he has redeemed. And so as we go down the generations beyond Rahab and into Boaz and Ruth and beyond, we find that God brings the Messiah from that line to redeem the whole world. Isn't that incredible? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this book. This book that doesn't really mention you directly, but speaks into a culture where you are working and where you are seen and where you're still known. Father, we thank you that this is in our hands as we open our Bibles, that we can read about people's determination to reject the world and embrace you. And God, it reveals your character, your goodness, your faithfulness, your response to repentance, and, and also the good law that you put in place that you long for culture to follow. A law which provides for those in need and which ensures a second chance for those who have been through times of trial. Father, let your word transform us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would use what we've considered today to change our lives forever. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.